Well, welcome all. If uh, you're a guest and we haven't met yet, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be worshiping with you this morning. Uh, you're catching us in a, a series uh, where we're moving straight through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, we're kind of in the home stretch now. We're in chapter six, the last chapter. So we've, we've worked our way through the, uh, the first half of the book. And as a congregation, we've been remembering that uh, in very simple terms, you can kind of think of Ephesians as having two halves, the first half being about our, our new identity in Christ, who we are in Jesus when we come into a trusting relationship with him. And then the second half, the new kind of society, the new life that God has for us as, as people who trust Jesus, uh, people called to live a life worthy of the calling we've received in Christ, one of unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ here and around the world, and one of purity before the Lord as, as we live out our days in this world. Uh, and then we come to this part of chapter six and the verses we're going to read in a moment begin with the word finally. So this is kind of the, the last word that Paul has for us. He has, a, he has a few things to say, but he's turning the corner, kind of wrapping this book up. And, and really, I don't know how you've experienced it, but up till this point, it has all sounded pretty good. Uh, the, the first half, yes, new identity in Christ. Remember that in Jesus, uh, when we come into a relationship with God, we're adopted into the family. We become dearly loved children of the king of the universe who created everything there is, who is holding all things together even right now. And we're children of that king. Oh, what an incredible thing. And uh, sometimes I think our, our life is spent just trying to get that in our heads and really believe it, Right? but we have new identity in Jesus. Man, sounds great, I want that. And this new life to which we're called, man, yes, the world would work so much better if everyone were in that place, trusting God and, and, and living in unity intentionally and, and seeking purity uh, always. But I don't know about you, all the while through all that, I've had this nagging thing in the back of my head that says, yeah, I, I want that, I believe that, I'm all in. And it is not that easy. I mean, there, there's resistance every step of the way. Uh, says John Stott in his excellent commentary on Ephesians, in this part of chapter six, Paul, quote, turns to realities harsher than dreams. This is the real world in which we live and where we're called to work this stuff out. So let's listen now to the scripture. The scripture passage for today comes from Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the word of the Lord. You know, so as with uh, any sermon, the power is really in the text of the scripture and what the Holy Spirit's doing. So let's just observe some things about the text. Uh, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's that word, finally. Any communicator knows that... Uh, what you say first, and especially what you say last, tends to stick. 
So with this word finally, we take it that Paul wants this to stick. He put this at the end on, on purpose. And if you, if you went and looked at the uh, original language, the word that Paul used that's translated finally doesn't mean, hey, this is the last in my list of things I'd like to cover with you. It, uh, literally translated, it means for the remaining time. For the remaining time. So we've, we've reviewed all the identity stuff and new life in Christ stuff. And now for the remaining time, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's how this whole section of scripture begins. You, you might be familiar with the Bible. It might be new to you. If, if you're more familiar with the scripture and you know this Ephesians 6 passage, it's the passage about the armor of God. And, and we'll, we'll get in to, to how we engage this spiritual struggle a little more next week and kind of break down all those pieces about the armor and, 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 and all of that. And it's really good. But let's never forget that the entire passage begins with this. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's, that's the imperative. That's the command. It's like Paul saying, I've reminded you of who you are in Christ, you know, a dearly loved child. I've, I've called you to a life worthy of that calling and, and uh, unpacked what that life looks like in your closest everyday relationships. Now here's what you do to go after all that. You know, the remaining time isn't some subset of our life. The remaining time means from now until one of two things happens. Either Jesus returns or you die. There's no half time. There's no end of quarter. It's continuous from right now until one of those things happens. The remaining time and, and this is the work, our work as Christians. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And, and Paul then goes on to unpack a little more of what that could look like in the life of a follower of Jesus. The scripture says that, that to do this, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, we put on the full armor of God. Again, more on that next week. So that, says the text, we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. So God has provided armor. We'll unpack that more later. And there's a devil who is scheming. You know, Paul's purpose here in, in raising, uh, naming really, this person, the devil, is, is not to debate the existence of the devil. He takes that as a given because Jesus said it was so. All right, Paul's purpose is not to satisfy our intellectual curiosity about the devil, like what, what, how, how and why, and Han. Uh, Paul's purpose in, in writing this is to warn us of very real hostility. not a religious idea reserved to to studies in church or a Bible study here or there. Very real hostility that we will encounter every day. The real life stuff. It's it's why I've had this nagging feeling like, yeah, I believe all that, I want all that, and this is really hard. Because we're in a war, a a battle. That's the imagery 
the scripture uses, right? The armor of God, it's, it's all about kind of military imagery. There's a war going on. If you didn't realize that you're living in a war zone, you need to wake up. Really, the battle is on, we're in it, and there's no getting out of it. Uh, writes John Stott again, moreover, there will be no ceasefire, ever. It's on, and it's on for the remaining time. There will be no rest from this battle. So if coming to Christ, you were hoping to retreat to a safe haven to live out your days in peace, if you are hanging on to the hope that you will remain untainted by this battle and its horrors unimpacted, if you were hoping to engage only from the air, avoiding the very real hand-to-hand combat of spiritual warfare below you, if you were hoping any of that, I do have bad news. None of those options are available to the follower of Jesus. So, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's, there's a devil and he's scheming. Look at the scripture. Another place, 1 Peter, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In, in speaking of forgiveness and, and our need to forgive others, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this, we should forgive in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Uh, I don't know if you've read uh, this, this great classic book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Who, who's read that book? Would you just raise your hand if you've read Yeah, a lot of people have read that. If, if, if that book is new to you, if, if it's been on your list and you, and you haven't read it, or if, if you've never heard of it, which is fine, it's a really good book written by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fantasy, uh, but, but he does a masterful job unpacking the reality of the spiritual scheming in the world. And, and what that might look like and, and feel like and the outworking of that. There's scheming going on. There are lies afoot that would lure us in. And there is a plan behind all of that. It's not just happening randomly. This is being orchestrated. As followers of Jesus, all our remaining time in this life will be engaged in a battle, a struggle. The struggle is real, it's not imaginary. It's not just a metaphor. There is an adversary in this world and we face opposition daily. I don't know how you experience it, sometimes I experience it minute by minute, ever present, right? The first step in being strong in the Lord and his mighty power is understanding the struggle in which we find ourselves. So what is the struggle? I mean, what what is this battle in which we find ourselves? Paul explains it a bit. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So four things about this. Uh, The struggle is real. People are not the enemy. 
the struggle is spiritual and the battleground, at least the primary battleground, is the mind. A primary battleground is the mind. I, I might prefer to rephrase that. So first, the, the struggle is real. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's with us. If, if you're newer to the faith and you haven't uh, yet worked through or, or maybe had the, the kind of accumulation of experience to kind of align the teachings of the Bible with what you're experiencing day to day in the world, Christians who've walked the road a little ahead of you certainly can testify to the fact that this is absolutely real. There, there, is, there is a struggle going on and it explains how you and I experience life day by day, moment by moment. It really does. You know, Paul assumes that, that all Christians know about this struggle because we're, we're in it. We're experiencing it. Uh, we are experiencing it right now. Right? Just because we're in a church building doesn't mean we're totally shielded. We've, we've, we've prayed the Lord's protection and all of that. But this struggle is real within us right now. We face very real opposition and, and we feel it. And, and it comes out in different ways. And we'll unpack this as I kind of unpack these four points. But uh, the, the struggle is real. My, my good friend Tom served as a missionary in Africa at the beginning of his ministry career. And he had an experience that he said seared on his heart this fact that this spiritual battle is real. They were uh, with a a group of missionaries uh, going about. He he served in Kenya and Ethiopia, and they were were showing the Jesus film in different villages. And through some relational connections, the the chief of one tribe and, and whole village area had come to Christ, and he invited their group to come show the Jesus film in uh, uh, this village. This, this tribe had a medicine man who was particularly powerful. The chief invited the medicine man, and the medicine man said, I'm making a long story short, I'll come only if you let me sit in your chair. Because in that culture, it was considered an honor to sit in the highest place. So there was a chair, much like a lifeguard stand at a pool, and whenever there was a corporate gathering, the chief would sit in the chair. And the chief in his newfound faith said to the medicine man, sure, you can have the chair. Come watch the movie. He did. And long story short, the Lord got a hold of his heart, and he came to Christ. He heard the gospel, and he uh, was able to imagine the world in a whole new way, that God really loved him. And says my friend Tom, he was visibly changed. His countenance was was different at the end of this. And so this medicine man was chatting with my friend Tom and a couple other friends, and they're talking, and suddenly he was all smiles, but suddenly he just got very serious and said, we have to burn it. And Tom said, what, what, what do you mean? He said, my, my, my home, my compound, we have to burn it. And he took off running. No idea what he's talking about. The whole team runs after him. My friend Tom goes into his hut where there was no furniture, only a very large, deep hole in the ground, at the bottom of which were many, many snakes. That's where this guy slept every night, in the bottom of the pit with the snakes. He came out of his hut again and said, we have to burn it. So the missionaries took kerosene, drenched the hut, it was a compound, drenched all the buildings, 
lit it up. It's burning set outside the village a bit. My friend Tom said he was standing back and the sound of the hut burning, he said, was like 20 people being murdered. Blood-curdling screams. There was nobody around. Blood-curdling screams for half an hour or so, he said. That's way outside of my experience. I'm sure yours too. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. And people aren't the enemy. Right? The, the text is very clear on that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People aren't the enemy. Right? This is really, really important because many times it seems like people are the enemy. You get this. Right? We feel like the people or the forces most opposed to us are embodied by Dave or Sue or, or Sam or, or whatever. That simply is not true. You know, this, this is a really, a really, really important idea because oftentimes we can get in our head this idea that if they would just get it figured out and quit being jerks, then my life and the world in general would be so much better. They're the enemy. And if somebody could just fix them, it would be better. See, this is really important because when we see people as the enemy, we fail to love them the way Jesus does. And that is a ginormous problem because one of the great goals of the Christian life, of all sanctification understood in Christian terms, is to love people the way Jesus does. So when we're viewing people as the enemy, we're not loving them as Jesus does, and we are getting sidetracked from from one of the great purposes the Lord has for our lives, which is to become more like Jesus, right? So when we think of people as the enemy, I just have to believe that that scheming devil and all of the forces of evil are seeing their plan played out just as conceived. Right? Desperately, desperately wanting humanity to turn on, on one another, think ill of one another, be angry, unforgiving, allow bitterness to turn to resentment that then grows into a life marked by unforgiveness and self-absorption. You know, these are the seeds of murder and all other evil in the world. And this is how it works spiritually. So, here's a quick thing. The people are not the enemy training tip. Four steps. Observe your own feelings and realizing and realize you're viewing somebody as the enemy. That's step number one. Step number two, choose curiosity over anger. What that means is this. You can begin to imagine if you're experiencing a person as like a cheese grater to your soul, think, what's really going on here? What, what brokenness is being manifest? What deep need is, has been left unmet that is now being projected through this behavior that is seemingly so inappropriate, you know? I mean, go that way. You know, choose curiosity over anger and, and pray it out, right? Um, and then three, so countercultural. Meet the person in their brokenness by sharing your own. Because if you can start to tease out what's hurting them, 
you'll realize somewhere, somehow in your own life, that same thing has hurt sometime. And say, you know what? Yeah, I just, yeah, we all struggle with, with that. You know, I, yeah, I, I really had a thing with pride. In my, my, I just thought this and I made these decisions and I was, it was a wreck. I was a wreck. Or, you know, everybody struggles with sexual brokenness in some part of their life. It's, it's, it's common. And it, here, was, here was my experience of that. Talk about turning the tables on somebody, right? And then there's an opportunity to share because when we lead with vulnerability and lead with brokenness, we can tell the story of how God created the world, which was to be beautiful. God created everything beautiful. The scripture says that. He did not create that brokenness. That brokenness came because of sin. So God created beauty, but we're broken. Uh, Yet we're invited back into that beauty through new birth in Jesus. The three B's of sharing your faith, beauty, brokenness, and birth. Very reformed way to share the gospel, by the way. You know, um, people aren't the enemy. Jesus loves people. Third, the struggle is spiritual. Not against flesh and blood, says the text, but there is an enemy. Here it is, the rulers, the authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I don't know if anybody can name all the players in in all of that. The way we experience it, says the Bible, comes through three primary means, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are the three used by Scripture in other places to to name our opposition. You know, the world, the human society organized around human beings instead of around God, a system that values us at the center instead of God at the center of everything. The flesh, meaning not just uh, physical lust kinds of things, but, but everything in us that is self-absorbed and self-protecting and self-centered, that's the flesh. And the devil, again, refers to a person, a personal devil who is scheming. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, the struggle is spiritual. And, and the battleground is in the mind, or a primary battleground is in the mind. Uh, you know, often the front line of this, this spiritual struggle is right here in our inner dialogue. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how you experience it. I, I, because I was preaching this message this morning, I tried to track just a few of the thoughts that rifle through my mind. Uh, actually, let's read this scripture first. This is from 2 Corinthians, which is so very helpful because it names this reality and tells us what to do about it, by the way. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Assumptions, there's a war, and we're waging war. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus. Now, when I was a new believer, I I remember reading this and my takeaway from this scripture was, I shouldn't think bad things. My take on it now is much, much different. Um, Because the world, the flesh, and the devil have voice into your inner dialogue. Have you ever wondered how stuff gets in your head? 
Like how does it, where do those thoughts come from that flash across the, the screen of your, of your mind's eye, so to speak? Really, how does that get there? Are we just thinking it up? Do they come from somewhere? I mean, how, do, how does this work? My, my best understanding biblically is that there are four sources for that, the world, the flesh, the devil, or Jesus, the Lord. Maybe you have some more. I'd be happy to talk about that. But, but think about your inner dialogue, right? I had a pastor early on in my Christian life uh, share something tremendously helpful in analyzing the inner dialogue. And he said, if it's the voice of condemnation, that's not Jesus. It's the vo- if it's the voice of conviction, that might be Jesus. Meaning, if that inner dialogue thought is saying, man, look what, you've, you've screwed this entirely. Who do you think you are? You are such a screw up. That's condemnation, right? That's one of the three voices of opposition. Not sure which, but it doesn't really matter, right? It's not Jesus. If there's a thin slice saying, hey, John, the thing that you said to Crystal, you need to apologize for that. Mm, yeah, that's more like conviction, right? That's, that's not you're bad. That's I'd like you to be more like me in this area, therefore do this. So with the idea that thoughts come into our, our inner dialogue, I just, I, I had a sticky note going today and I just started writing down thoughts that rifled through my head from when I woke up this morning until I came in to preach this sermon. I didn't get them all because they come so quickly, sometimes we're not even aware of them all. They just leave a feeling in us. Here was one. You should be doing more. And it came with this oppressive, you're not doing enough. You know, if, if you were good, you would be doing more. That was a voice of condemnation. If you really loved Jesus, you would have, there it is again, voice of, that was not a convicting thing because it was not specific. It was very general. And that voice, that thought, wanted to squish me down. Do you really like you? Because you really shouldn't. That was real. It was in here. Uh, I think it came, I was looking at a picture of our family. And I didn't like the way I looked in the picture. Do you really like you? Because you shouldn't. You're kind of a dork. That was the thing. And it was, there, were, there, was, there was spiritual power there. There really was. If you were a good pastor, you would have better things to say. Very real thought this morning. Right through my head. And probably true but not the condemning part of it, right? And there is a battle. There's a battle right here, and it is full on. It's war. And it's super important. Because if, if it's true that uh, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, Galatians 5.1, my life verse, And if that's true, and the inner dialogue has you living in constant slavery, you know, there's, there's something more for you, really. Uh, the Lord wants to set free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You know, we're able to figure this out. Um, let, me, let me, I need to 
I need to land the plane on this baby. One more, one more picture. Can you do the next slide? So this, I, I, I have a, a mentor. I, I'm on a, a coaching call every other week with a, a past, former pastor from the UK, and he's now leading a kind of a discipleship thing in the US. And this was a, this was a picture that he drew. We use Zoom so you can you know, share your screen and draw stuff. And so this was my processing on, on Zoom. You really can't read that, can you? Uh, you can't, okay. So the, this, this was breaking down this, this uh, uh, passage from 2 Corinthians 10, you know, taking, thought, take, taking captive every thought, making it obedient to Jesus. And he said, he just asked us as a group, and it was my turn to go this time, what's a thought that's been kind of nagging you, that's the condemning voice, you know, you know it's not from the Lord, and it's, but it's, it's kind of persistent, it's in there all the time. And this was my thought, you are not a leader. Persistent, pressing thing in me that uh, you're not really, you're kind of a poser. You're really not a leader. Uh, You're really not doing well at this leadership of the church thing or really leadership in any area of your life thing. You're not a leader. That's the thought that can be inside of me working itself out. And if, if you spend time, which we will do sometime, on this passage alone, the 2 Corinthians 10 passage, it says we demolish arguments and pretensions. The actual words are very interesting. The argument is a supporting argument for that thought in my head that says you're not a leader. So it would say you're not a leader because you're not worthy. I'm looking at the line below down here now. You're not a leader because you're not, you're not worthy. Look how badly you've led. Or at the top line then, you're not a leader because you're not as good as Steve or, or, or Tom or Jill or you know, comparing my bad to the good of my friends who are leaders, which is what we always do, right? We, we compare our bad stuff to other people's perfect stuff and think in an equal comparison, and then in the internal dialogue, the math is clear. Yeah, you're a screw-up, you're not a leader. And there's a devil. He's scheming, and we do not want to be unaware of his schemes. So the argument is the supporting argument for the thought. The pretension is kind of the the assumption upon which the whole thing is based. So you're not a leader, going down now, because you're not worthy, you are not worthy, look how badly you're led. The, The assumptions are leaders should not ever make mistakes. Good leaders don't make mistakes. That was an assumption in my head I was believing to be true. And then over on the other side, victory over all appetites is needed to qualify as a leader. Are those things true? See, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Is there a thought in your inner dialogue that has become a stronghold? Work this out with people. Come ask me about it. I'd be happy to talk about it, right? This is a process you can use to work through that to not just kind of sideline that stronghold, but to demolish it, to be done with it. So there's a battle. We're in it. It's real. People aren't the enemy. It's spiritual. Battleground is right here. Now, if all of this sounds depressing and a little exhausting, take heart because the command still stands. Be strong in the Lord. Not in your own strength. Be strong in 
the Lord and in his mighty power. In his mighty power. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Understand the battle. Engage the battle. Be strong in the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you're alive right now. Thank you that the gospel is true, that you lived and died and and rose again, that you are for us this very instant, that you want all people everywhere to come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. Pour out your spirit on us, Father. Show us thoughts that might have become strongholds in our lives. Help us understand this struggle in which we live. Give us spiritual eyes to see and a heart that understands what's going on. Give us wisdom in this. For we know that in you we are more than conquerors. We have more than just victory over the struggle in this life. We have your very great and precious promises. And, And in fact, you yourself are our great reward. And we thank you, God, for that. We love you, Lord Jesus. Help us. We ask in your name. Amen.